Time to talk politics. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Now, here's WBEN's Dave Depot. And what a week it is to talk politics. This was a week where, ah, the heck with it. I'm just going to talk about the government shutdown. This is the big story this morning. We're glad to have you with us. There are some other things we'll get to along the way, by the way. Tomorrow, uh, Monday, the big trial of Joseph Percoco, a Cuomo aide accused of taking bribes opens. We'll touch on that before the program is done. This was also the week where you saw two different people uh, say that they would run against Chris Collins. We will touch on that. Chris Collins will join us talking about the government shutdown. There are roughly... 15,000 federal employees, 100 different agencies and offices across the seven uh, western counties of New York State. We are talking about the government shutdown, not only what it means to those employees, but what it means politically. President Donald Trump says if the government shutdown drags on, Republicans could consider changing the rules in the Senate to make it easier to pass legislation without votes from the Democrats. We'll get to that. We'll have some analysis. We'll talk politics. We have in studio with us from SUNY Buff State, Professor Peter Iacobucci in their uh, political science department. He was someone, by the way, who one year ago was down on the mall taking students to the marches and the inauguration. So we'll touch on that, too. Carl Calabrese from Masiello Martucci and Calabrese Associates, also with us. Uh, he's our regular political analyst on things like this. But I, I do want to talk a little bit about those employees. I do want to talk just a little bit about what all of this could possibly mean around Western New York. As I said, uh, Western New York has 15,000 federal employees. Uh, they stretch uh, across the region. Two big uh Pockets of them, really, if you think about it. There is that large IRS call center in Cheektowaga. That, I believe, is about 500 employees strong. We've reached out to the IRS to try and find out what it means for them. Right now, obviously, they have channels set up to tell their employees whether to show up or not. Uh, Non-essential employees stay home. Essential employees go in. We're trying to figure out what that means. Uh, The other big federal installation around here, the 914th Airlift Group at the Niagara Falls Air Reserve Station. We've reached out to them, and we do have a statement that they put out on social media. It says this, 914th personnel should report as scheduled Monday, January 22nd. Further guidance would be provided to base employees upon their arrival. The members currently attending formal training should remain at their course until told otherwise by their chain of command. Those members who are temporary duty for other reasons will continue as previously planned. So no real effect there. And uh, I know that there are bases across the country where people showed up for their reservist training and they were sent home. That apparently not the case here in Niagara Falls. We've reached out to Thomas Barone. He is the head of the Federal Executive Board locally, kind of an umbrella group of all the employees of uh, federal employees around here. We'll uh, touch base with him when we call. he calls in. And we also have a call out to Congressman Brian Higgins. We hope to have him on the program as well. But let's start with all the political analysis. I think right now, if you look at it, um, there there is an argument out there that it doesn't necessarily impact everyone's lives in an immediate way where we will see it. Um, it's certainly something that will affect uh, things around the area. Cong- uh, Congressman Higgins will talk a little. Uh, excuse, excuse me. Congressman Collins will talk a little bit about that a little bit later. But let's find out what it means politically for Congress for President Trump. We have SUNY Buffalo State's Peter Yakabuchi here. Peter, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, talk to me what you think, how much of a sting this is. Uh, normally today, and th- this this show, I guess, is kind of a microcosm. Normally today, we would have been talking about one year of Donald Trump. And now all of a sudden, it's how effective is government and uh, what, what do we do with a shutdown? 
Well, I think when we look at the shutdown, it's a microcosm of the year. Uh, the dysfunction continues. And the dysfunction may be purposeful. Uh, I think when you look for Trump supporters and individuals that are backing Donald Trump, they want to tear down the administrative state. This is one way to do it, is show that there are parts of the government that aren't really needed if they're not coming to work and we don't have a big impact seen on the people. And I think that's something we're seeing on social media. I think that's something we're seeing from people who are saying, hey, uh, it doesn't affect me. Does it really affect people if parts of the government go away? Well, if it's a very short-term shutdown, if we're talking less than a week, maybe five days, not really, not to a great extent. But when it extends beyond a week and individuals uh, don't get help when they're calling into the IRS to do their taxes or if their uh, Social Security benefits are affected or something like that, it is going to have an impact on the people. It's I think really what, what – the one thing I do want to express is I've heard people say, many people say, well, if they shut down the government, that'll save us money. It's actually the opposite. When we shut down the government for a short term, it ends up costing quite a significant amount more. Because we have to borrow at a later date? Well, it's not so much that we have to borrow, but all those employees that are being furloughed, they almost always get their back pay when they come back. I mean, imagine if you were a salaried employee and, and through no fault of your own, you simply had to go away from work for a week or two weeks. You would expect your payback, and that's almost what always what Congress does, and that's going to cost money. All right. Now, it's interesting to note that you said if it, if it doesn't go too long, there is no major effect. Earlier this week, we were talking with Erie County Executive Mark Polenkars. He basically said the same thing. As long as this doesn't go on too long, Erie County should be okay. Uh, so we are... In the, in the short term, we don't believe if there was a shutdown even for uh, up to a week, it wouldn't have that much of an impact. But if there was a shutdown that was longer than a week, it could have an impact with regards to the delivery of services where we rely on federal dollars to provide those services, such as social services, such as uh, senior services, such as areas associated with our uh, infrastructure and environment and planning departments. So. Uh, in the short term, I'm not as much worried about it based on the reports I'm getting back. But if this lasted longer than a week, uh, I would be concerned that we'd have to start uh, reducing some of the programs that we uh, are slated to provide this year just because we wouldn't have the federal dollars to pay for it. All right, let's bring in Carl Calabrese now, Republican strategist, regular media commentator, a lobbyist of sorts with Calabrese Martucci, uh, Massiello. Calabrese and Martucci Associates. You're getting closer, Dave. I, I'm, I, one of these days, I'll get it right first time around. Yeah, Martucci and Calabrese. Thank you. Um, what do you see as the political fallout here? Do Republicans get the blame? Do Democrats get the blame? Uh, a CNN poll I saw basically spread it around, uh, had, had about 30, 30, and maybe uh, uh, 15 or so saying everybody should get the blame. What do you think? That poll had 31% of Americans blaming Democrats, 26% uh, Republicans, and the rest, you know, pox on both houses. I think that's a pretty accurate uh, portrayal of this. Uh, I don't think the Republicans are going to wear this completely, nor the Democrats. I think it, it relates more to a word Peter used, and that's dysfunction. Um, it just highlights how dysfunctional the federal government has been and continues to be. I mean, the, the base cause of this whole thing with these CRs, you hear that term used, and it drives me nuts when, when politicians use the words, the term CR and don't tell people what it means. Continuing resolutions to fund the government means that the government has been, or Congress has been incapable of passing a budget. The basic function of any legislative body, be it a town board, a county legislature, a state legislature, is to pass a yearly budget. 
And we just can't seem to be able to get to that point where we have these yearly budgets that people can count on and plan, uh, and we get these continuing resolutions, which every time they come up, allow whatever side wants to use it for political mischief to do that and thereby tie up the government. So that's the bigger issue here. Uh, but I, I think I agree with the county executive 100%. This, this goes a week or so. There's not going to be a major impact on anybody's lives. And also remember this. The last shutdown, 2013, it's quite clear that President Obama, I'll use another term that's very popular today, he weaponized it. He, he made functions shut down that did not have to be shut down. He picked high-profile functions like national parks, put up the barricades. This president's not going to do that. He's giving departments authority to use funds that they have already available to them to keep those functions open. Well, that, that ties into something you said, Peter, the idea that there are some, obviously, in the Republican camp who want to say we don't need as much government. Sure. I think if you look at the Trump's first year as presidency, one of his main accomplishments has been the beginning of the tearing down of the administrative state. Now, it's going to take some time. Rulemaking takes a long time to make it through the federal government, but it has begun and it is uh, moving along at quite an urgent pace. Do you agree, Carl? Yeah. I, I would agree that one of the goals of the Trump administration is to to pare down the administrative state, uh, to make it more uh, to make it more uh, responsive to Congress as opposed to rulemaking on its own. But Trump did not need a shutdown to continue that uh, effort. He can do that just as an executive with executive power. I mean, remember this: for every new regulation that has been passed this year by the federal government, twenty-two has been eliminated by this president. So he didn't need a shutdown to do that. All right. Nonetheless, do you think he'll win the PR battle as a result? <laughs> um, again, I think, it's, I think it's going to be spread across all parties and the institutions. But remember this. The political impact may be negligible because if you look at the last shutdown, 2013, Republicans took a beating. And by the way, it's interesting that when Republicans were in the minority, they got the blame. Now, Democrats are in the minority, and there's people are still trying to blame Republicans. But none, nonetheless, in the two elections following the 2013 shutdown, Republicans gained houses, uh, seats in both houses and won the presidency. So the political impact really <laughs> it wasn't much in, in a negative sense. What do you see, Peter, as the impact on the midterms here? Well, in a sense, I agree with Carl. I mean, we are in the middle of January. The elections aren't until November. My guess is, assuming this doesn't draw draw itself out for weeks and weeks, that this will be forgotten by the time we get to November. And many people on both sides of the aisle will simply say, well, it's just Congress once again being Congress and being dysfunctional. My real concern is that it continues to delegitimize our government and make it more and more difficult to do the basic functions of government, whether it's security or uh, social affairs. Um, that's my concern. All right. There is another part of this all, too. We'll get to it after the break. Okay. I want to talk about immigration in just a second, and we'll take some phone calls, too. 803-0930 is the number if you'd like to join the conversation. We've got Carl Calabrese here. We've got Peter Iacobucci here, and you on the phones coming up next it's hardline on news radio 930 wben read the news online at wben.com it's hardline on news radio 930 wben good morning this is dave debo peter yakabuchi is here from suny buffalo state carl calabrese is here from Maziello martucci and calabrese associates and I, I gotta say originally the reason I, I had these two guests scheduled for today 
was because this is one day after the one-year anniversary of the inauguration. And I thought those would be great guests to talk about all the achievements that President Trump has tried or everything that he's done in the past year. And then, of course, we get the government shutdown. So in that regard, we are talking about the government shutdown. And we will touch on those other things, too. 803-0930 is the number. If you'd like to join us, we have a couple of lines open. They're starting to uh, heat up right now. Carl, let me start with you. What do you see as the long game here, especially in regard to immigration? Well, I, I think the long game that's being played out here is one of political strategy of both parties appealing to their bases to get ready to go into the 2018 midterms. That's really what's going on here uh, and has been going on for quite some time where both parties now have signed on to the political strategy that you can win an election without appealing to the middle, that you can, if you can mobilize your base into you know, hyper turnout of your, your voters, that you can win an election just on that. And that's why we see you know, such strident uh, political lines being drawn, because both parties right now think you don't have to appeal to the middle. Uh, and so that's what the, the long-term game is right here. Peter? Well, I agree with that with, with one little caveat. I think when we talk about DACA or if we're talking about the health care program for children, um, there's dramatic across-partisan uh, line support for both of those programs. And so with the Democrats pushing for those programs, it leaves them in a much better position than the Republicans um, not passing the funding or the legislation needed to put both those programs away. All right, and President Trump is calling uh, uh, for a change in the rules. He says if the government shutdown really drags on, Republicans should consider going nuclear and changing the rules in the Senate so things can pass with a simple majority instead of funding bills requiring that 60%. Uh, do you think that'll happen, Carl? Well, I think we're moving that way. I mean, that began with uh, Majority Leader Harry Reid changing the rule, the filibuster rules on uh, the uh, the selection of judges, uh, and that <laughs> obviously came back to haunt the Democrats. But uh, once you cross that line and begin moving towards a legislative body that uh, can pass or defeat items with 50% plus one, I think it's only a matter of time until that, that rule is modified, changed, or completely thrown out. Because I, I, I can't think of many other legislative bodies that require 60 votes to pass something. Peter, is there a reason they call it nuclear? Um, I think there is, and the reason that it gives me great concern is what one of the great strengths of the American democracy system is its stability, is whether we have a Republican president or a Democratic president or who, which party controls the House or the Senate, is we have proceeded along in a relatively stable path. If you take down the filibuster rule that currently exists in the Senate and has existed for over a century, it makes it that partisan majorities can then move the country dramatically in their direction. And I think that we lose the stability that our country has already always had. All right. Let's bring in a quick phone call here. We'll have more after the news break. John in Buffalo, kick it off for us. Hi, you're on the air. Hello. Um, yeah, I would just like to say, uh, you know, I'm a Democrat, and I can I fully look at this as completely orchestrated by the Republican Party. Um, you, you could see how immediately I was watching the Senate, and immediately uh, McConnell started to attack Chuck Schumer, um, Orchestrated by or just capitalized on with messaging after the fact? Do you really think they set this up to happen? I mean, they are the party that hates big government. Um, and I like the word one of your guests used, delegitimize the government. It's something the Republicans constantly are trying to do. So they are accomplishing all those goals. That they're stopping the big government, um, 
the Republicans also seem to love to pick a fight they can't win. And it's particularly disturbing, I think, these ads they're taking out blaming Democrats for the murders of undocumented workers. It really goes back to almost a Nazi-type propaganda where, like, before World War II, they would blame a Jew. They, they, they would say a Jewish person raped it. Poison the whole atmosphere. That's uncalled for. Uh, uh, Carl, come on in here, because you, you were the one that said that they're, in some part, using this, obviously, to energize the base. Yeah, we start throwing around the, the, kind of the comparison between what's going on in our government and Nazism. That's, that's outrageous, and that ought to be rejected out of hand um, by both parties, okay? Uh, look, big government delegitimizes itself. That's one of the reasons why Donald Trump got elected, is people are just so fed up with an overbloated, expensive, debt-ridden, ineffective federal government. Um, and so they, big government will eventually delegitimize itself. All right, Peter. I, I, I have to challenge Carl a little bit on that. I, if you were to make that statement back when Ronald Reagan was elected, back in the early 1980s, that's probably a very accurate statement. Because but our, but Reagan our, had a platform of small government. Well, and, and the government was bloated. It was inefficient. It was remarkably inept. You know, we were buying $500 hammers, those type of things. But if you look at the reforms that have taken place over the last 30, 35 years, um, you just don't see that in government anymore. Uh, the government has become much more efficient. Now, is there waste? Of course there is. In any large institution, there is waste. But I think to make that claim is simply dated. All right, Carl, quick rebuttal, 30 seconds, because we've got to be right to the news for an update. I couldn't disagree more. The federal government is still overbloated, debt-ridden, and inefficient, and we're still spending all kinds of money we don't need to. And more importantly, the federal government, through the administrative state that Peter has mentioned, has encroached on state and local government powers to no end and has been pushed back under Obama quite a bit by the Supreme Court. But now you see a president undoing it even more. We need to get back to federalism, where we trust local, county, and state government to make decisions closest to the people and not look to a one-size-fits-all federal government. All right. 803-0930 is our number. Enough time to take a couple more calls here. Another half hour with Peter Iacobucci and Carl Calabrese. Then coming up at 1130, we'll dig into the shutdown even more deeply with Congressman Chris Collins. Between now and then, we'll feather in some other stuff. We're going to talk about a, a lot of political things this morning, but the shutdown is topic number one. We have a live update coming up and more of your talk on the other side. It's News Radio 930, WBEN Buffalo. Hardline on News Radio 930, WBEN. This is Dave Debo. Peter Iacobucci is here from the Political Science Department at SUNY Buffalo State. Carl Calabrese is here, regular media commentator for us, Republican strategist with Mazziello, Martucci, and Calabrese. And let's go to the phones now and bring a lot of you in. We have a couple of lines open, 803-0930's number. Of course, the topic of the day is the government's shutdown. Uh, let's see here. Frank in Niagara Falls, you're up high. You know, I guess it's how you look at government. You know, I see a government of, by, and for the people is the only thing keeping the sick authoritarian billionaires in check. You know, this shutdown mess is of Trump's own making. And, you know, who made DACA a point of contention? Trump did. 87% of the American people support the Dreamers. Who made the children's health care program something Congress had to save? Trump did. You know, and then I saw that. Uh, let me take an issue a little bit, and I, I'm, I think I'm the, the one person here that, that doesn't come at it from a partisan approach, but child health care just expired. The funding wasn't something that Trump went in and canceled, and DACA was something he looked at and said, this isn't constitutional because it's not funded. That's correct. 
And, and by the way, David, uh, the Republican House passed funding, full funding, for the child health uh, insurance program. So that's been passed. That's not a contentious issue. And DACA does not have to be dealt with in this continuing resolution. You got until March 15th. So the fact that it was coupled with this tells you that there was a political aspect. I, and I think, Frank, that's your common ground here. You say that this whole thing is political, that they're doing it to get whatever they want with DACA. Ad. Yeah, then I saw that ridiculous ad saying Democrats are liable for any crimes committed by, you know... Illegal immigrants, right. Aliens. You, you know, really? So, so does this mean Republicans will be held accountable for white-powered hate crimes? Or, or maybe we can get one Republican to stand up and take responsibility for the casualties in that unnecessary Iraq war or, or fraud on Wall Street. You know, conservatives cross the line. You know, Trump being the first president to directly speak to the pro-life evangelical crowd proves he's pandering to his 28% base. I think i got to correct you there, too. I'm not sure he's the first one to do it. Carl, is he? Uh, I think he is. The first one directly to speak to them? Yeah, I, 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 I believe thought, he is. I thought others left messages for them, videos. No, but I, but he was the first one to talk live yeah. with them. Okay, so so that proves Frank's point. Peter, come on in here. I mean, We're getting too political. I, I, I think it, whether it's DACA, whether it's the CHIPS program, the health insurance program, or any other program, it's just another indication of dysfunction. And whether it's the dysfunction that you can blame on Trump, I mean, Trump, uh, 12 days ago in a in a bipartisan cabinet meeting within his, within the White House was pretty clear he was happy to have a DACA passed. You guys come up with, with something no I'll sign it, he said and, more or less. And then, you know, st- people got to him. And whether it was chief of staff or his, his advisors or the Freedom Caucus within the House, they said, no, that's not going to happen. And he changed his tune. I think one of the big problems, one of the reasons where we're at, where we're at especially with the shutdown right now, is neither side is quite sure what President Trump wants. He's given such mixed signals that both sides don't know where they are in the negotiation. Carl, would you agree? Well, I think this whole issue is kind of symbolic. I mean, throughout the year, every time Trump has had an accomplishment and achievement, there is some distraction, usually mostly caused by him and his tweets, that gets him off message. And although you can't lay this whole shutdown on him, uh, it's, again, a distraction on what we would be talking about otherwise, and that is his first year in office. Case in point, when I initially said I'd, I'd bring both you guys in this weekend, that was what we were going to be talking about. And we've spent 40 minutes talking about the shutdown and not about what I think are serious and substantial achievements of his first year in office. Uh, and so, again, it's just symbolic of this whole year, and that's why I believe... Any, pre- any other president with economic numbers and performance that we've had in the last year would be 55% approval. He's at anywhere from 40 to 45, depending on what poll you look at. That gap is a direct result of Donald Trump, very undisciplined Donald Trump, uh, the very sometimes verbally abusive Donald Trump, stepping on his own message. Peter, come on in. A year ago, you were at the inauguration and the march afterwards. Uh, What do you think has been accomplished in that year? And has he, as Carl says, just stepped on his own uh, agenda all the time? Well, I I can point to three major accomplishments. Uh, What I study is the Supreme Court. And getting Neil Gorsuch on the court in his first year has been remarkably conservative. It's hard to describe 
Um, I, it's hard to think of a way that he could be more conservative. And on every single case, he is cited on the conservative side. That's a win for Trump. The tax reform legislation, the Republicans desperately needed legislation for their donors to show that they can do something for their donors. That's their second major accomplishment. As I spoke to earlier, the idea of beginning to dismantle the administrative state to take down regulations that affect business is his other accomplishment. Those are major, major accomplishments. But as Carl correctly noted, President Trump seems to have this inability to allow good news to stay in the news. Well, let me ask you this then, and I think you guys kind of touched on it earlier. If the shutdown doesn't linger, will those other things in the final analysis shine, or will people still be pointing at the shutdown? Carl, give you a crack at that first. Well, I, I don't think the shutdown uh, will <laughs> will be a major. It will be an issue come November. I really don't. It has been in the past. You know, unless it goes on for months on end, uh, it, it's going to be forgotten. There are going to be other issues dominating the political landscape. But just to add something Peter said, uh, the ta- I would agree on the judges, and, and Gorsuch is the focal point. But let's not forget, in his first year in office, Barack Obama got three judges appointed to the appellate division of the court. Trump got 12. And 90, 95% of cases are settled at that level, not at the Supreme Court level. Um, Peter did not mention his successes in, in foreign policy. The defeat of ISIS is probably the most underreported story of the year. Uh, and also his energy policies, I think, were, were major in, in terms of impact. And the deregulation of the Obama years, I think, is, is, was, major, was a major accomplishment as well. But, P- Peter, let me say this. The, the Democrats did a great job in branding the tax cut as only for the wealthy, and regular people weren't going to get a benefit of it, okay? Going into that quote, 75% of Americans said, it's only for the rich, not for me. Well, that has had a major change, and it will continue to, because come February, 90% of Americans are going to see more take-home pay, substantially more take-home pay. And you're going to see that tax bill be a major issue come fall, and the Republicans are right at home. You agree? Um, I don't. I, I don't think people are going to notice. I think the way it was designed, it's almost designed so that people wouldn't notice it that much. The, it, well, previous tax cuts, if you think of the Bush tax cuts, you received a check in the mail. That's very significant. People remember that. A, a change in your take-home pay, while certainly it makes a difference, it's not going to come in a large check. It's not going to come in one large payment. And so I don't think it'll make that much of a difference. And I don't think... The Republicans will have much success running on that this fall. We'll see. Well, All right. Well, what it does do is it, the one check is a one-time thing uh, as opposed to a weekly increase in your pay. And as I mentioned on, the, on WBN before, the way it works out is for every $100 of take-home pay you now receive, you're going to have $15 more. So the average guy making $800 a week take-home is now going to see 920 and he's going to say, I'm not going to see it this week. I'm going to see it next week and the week after and the week after. That will have a huge impact on the economy, and I think when you combine that with what now looks to be somewhere between 35 and 4% growth in the GDP, uh, Republicans are going to have a very strong economy to run on. Whether or not that's a major issue, that remains to be seen. Uh, if Donald Trump you know, doesn't watch himself and he becomes the major issue, that issue, the economic issue, will be eclipsed, unfortunately. All right, let's let's go ahead, quickly. Well, just to jump in, and, and that will I agree you were with saying Carl, that is the problem is that President Trump, every time he remains silent, you see his polling numbers go up. Every time he jumps to Twitter, 
Um, he, he antagonizes the majority of Americans, not his core supporters, but the independents and the Democrats, and you see his numbers drop. If Republicans could only dream, they will do very well this fall if President Trump would simply leave Twitter. But I don't think that's ever going to happen. All right. Tony and Clarence, hi. Thanks for waiting. That's not one of them. I agree with everything you just said. All right. First of all, Trump lacks basic knowledge of the world. Republicans, by in general, can win elections, but they can't govern, and we've seen this for the last 20 years. I'll give you a good example. The long-term damage that Trump's done. He withdrew the United States from the TPP, right? That's been the, that is a fact. Now, the void that is now being created that he, he got us out of is being filled by China. China is now going to have the Pacific. As it's TPP gone, our, our influence in that area is gone. David K. Johnson wrote a book, Worse Than You Think. He says that the termites are undermining the government. That's correct. Then we don't even have ambassadors appointed to the Middle East countries, such as Saudi Arabia. We have no ambassadors in these countries. How can we possibly do business with these countries without representation? All right, Tony, uh, that cuts to uh, Professor Yakabuchi's point about dysfunction. I get your point. We've heard you on it. Talk just for a second about shutdown. Uh, what's your take on the government shutdown? Because we're, we're almost late for our break here. You know, we've had, this is the fourth shutdown, excuse me, this would have been the fourth continuing resolution since September. You cannot run a military, a government, without a budget. No budget. You can't, how do you see people in charge of these agencies that we have uh, planned for a whole year? They can't. It's all, it's ridiculous. Well, who's been in charge in the Congress? the presidency, and the Senate. It's the Republicans. All right. Tony, uh, we have to let you go. We are late for our break. We'll have more calls after this. Professor Peter Iacobucci is here. Carl Calabrese is here. More to come. Talking Shutdown. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. This is Dave Debo. Peter Iacobucci is here from SUNY Buffalo State. Right. Carl Calabrese is here from... Maziello, Martucci, and Calabrese. He's a Republican consultant and, and campaign coordinator. And uh, we've got you on the phones here. We've been talking a lot about the government shutdown, obviously, amongst ourselves. And let's try to get even more callers in now. Edwina in Newfane, thanks for hanging out as long as you did. Hi. Good morning. Uh, I'd like to talk about the shutdown. I think it, it just makes me shudder to see what we have representing us in Congress, both the Democrats and the Republicans. No one's talking about the real issues. It boils down to uh, the it boils down to the DACAs, uh becoming legal, and it and it boils down to that's about it. And shutting down the whole government for this issue is just ridiculous. What they need to be discussing is, first of all, the cost to make the DACAs legal for nine years, according to the Congressional Budget Office. This cost $26 billion, and they have based these findings on the balance of revenues, in other words, the taxes that are paid versus the benefits paid out. Also, under the Lindsey Graham bill, all illegals entering the country under 18 unaccompanied with no cap for age, that will increase the number. 
And most people are led to believe that the groups, and I say groups because you have actually two groups here. You have the DACAs, those that were brought in uh, through no fault of their own, uh, through their illegal parents. And then you also have the DREAMers, which consists of a larger group. I believe there are about three million in there, where the DACAs are 800,000. But you know, out of these groups, most people believe that they're highly educated, which they're not, which will result in increased costs in food stamps, welfare, Medicaid, education. But the most important thing is this will not stop the chain of migration. Edwina, I have two questions for you. It sounds as if you're not in favor of uh, allowing these DACA kids to no, be here, right? Not it at all. I believe that they can negotiate a limited amnesty. All right. Now, the reason I asked that question, though, is it also sounds as if you're saying you're not comfortable shutting down the government over such an important issue. I am not comfortable with shutting down the government on such a, on an issue that at this point uh, they they have until March to decide it. I feel that they're running ahead of themselves. I, I believe it's a foolish thing to try to shut the government down because of this. I don't think it's ever going to work. I mean, why not, why not think this thing out and go for limited amnesty? For instance, uh, they say that the Democrats are doing this because they want, they want the votes. Well, there should be a pathway to getting voting privileges under a limited amnesty. All right, there, there's a lot there that you've uh, poured out on the table. Peter, jump in. What do you see? For her call, uh, it is a very complicated issue, and I think what's happening is you had misinformation coming from the Trump administration about whether they were supportive of a DACA bill or against a DACA bill, and that left everybody in a situation where they're not quite sure what would be accepted by the president to sign. All right, Carl, hi. Yeah, I think she's on to a couple of things. Um, First of all, I, I agree. Shutting down the government over DACA did not have to happen because, as you mentioned, Dave, it goes until March 15th. It could have been separated and dealt separately. And secondly, in, in many ways, the more dysfunctional the government, the stronger Trump is with his base. I don't think this hurts him with his base. And the third point she made... Let, let me ask you about that, then. Do you think he did this on purpose in order to, to beef up the base, or is that just uh, icing on a, on a different cake? Yeah, I think it's an ancillary benefit uh, that he gets. But the other thing she mentioned that I think is right on is I really don't think in the final analysis this is about DACA. I think DACA could be settled and negotiated out. I think this is about the other two aspects of what Donald Trump has said very clearly he wants. He wants an end to chain migration, and he wants an end to the diversity lottery system. That's where I think the stumbling point is and the long game is. Both parties have benefited from chain migration. Republican businesses get cheap labor, and Democrats get new voters. And that's what needs to be dealt with is this unrestricted chain migration to a merit-based system. That's what Trump really wants. I think that's his number one issue, uh, and that's what the Democrats will, will go to the mats for and fighting against. All right. Let me, uh, I'm going to regret this. I'm going to try and squeeze one more in here. Pat on a cell phone. Hi. Go ahead. You're on the air. I'm going to be kind enough to believe that uh, Carl Calabrese wasn't around when uh, Ronald Reagan granted amnesty to five uh, million illegals with the promise that they were going to fix the system, that it would cost immigrants uh, over $13,000 to try to immigrate to this country legally is ridiculous. How come we're not talking about fixing the broken system? 
All right, Carl, I'll, I'll let you jump in quickly here, and then we'll uh, we'll wind things up for this hour. He's absolutely correct. Every time there has been a, an immigration deal, it has always come with the assurances to the American people that we are going to we are going to beef up the border, we are going to end illegal uh, immigration, and it never happens. And that leads to the cynicism that voters feel that you can't, you just can't buy that argument anymore. You can't buy that promise. You you got to show them that you're actually going to do it. I think if there's one president who is capable of showing them he could do it, it's Donald Trump. Whether or not he can get there through the legislature is another story. But there's no question, every immigration deal has talked about shutting down illegal immigration and shoring up the border. Hasn't happened. All right, 30 seconds each expert, Professor Yakabuchi, Peter Yakabuchi, SUNY Buffalo State. How does this play out? What happens next? Well, I think I think both sides are digging in right now, but I but I would be surprised if this goes longer than a week. As the caller noted, this is not we're not battling over major budget issues. We're battling over relatively minor issues. But it's politics and politics can many times go in directions we don't know. All right, uh, same question Carl Calabrese, what next? Uh, well, it's politics in a in a congressional election year and that makes it hyper politics. Uh, and so it, it, it's going to be nasty for a while. It'll eventually get settled, but then it, the emphasis will switch to another very contentious issue or issues going into the fall. I mean, it's just the nature of the beast that we deal with in an even-numbered year. All right. Very good. Thanks, you both. Uh, Carl Calabrese with Maziello, Martucci, and Calabrese Associates, a lobbyist, a political strategist, media commentator of sorts and Professor Peter Yakabuchi from SUNY Buffalo State. Coming up next, we'll get an update live on what's going on in Washington involving the shutdown. On the other side, we talked to some of the congressional...